and welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our dear friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my colleague and the D1 Ticker Extended Universe, Brian Fisher. Uh, we are pretty close to the halfway point uh, of the college football season. Brian, how are you holding up? Well, holding up is, is an operative word, but I'm excited. This is uh, kind of one of the best times of the year, if, if you're a sports fan, in, in my opinion, I, I guess you could say. you know, you, I know people like March and, and everything going on with March Madness, but you got college football. Uh, you, you have the NFL, of course. You have baseball playoffs. We have the basketball coming back. We have the NHL just started. Like this is uh, this is a kind of a sports fans paradise with uh, kind of the the major sports all going on at once. And uh, I, for one, cannot cannot wait. We got we got uh, Champions League soccer. We we got uh, Premier League. We got uh, all the all the five leagues in Europe. Uh, th- some thrilling title races. So like this is uh, this is a pretty fun time if you're a sports fan. It it is. I am somebody that. I think we're getting to the point now where I'm going to probably watch one of my I've watched one baseball game so far this year. Uh, I had kind of uh, I'm going to admit in like late April, I just figured eh, Cleveland's ownership doesn't care about winning. So why should I be emotionally invested in them? And then it turns out that the White Sox and the Twins suck and the Guardians are are in the playoffs now. And like, well, at least I can do it. Mean, I mean, should we, uh, should we yeah, you can you can tell what uh, what my hat, hat I'm wearing if, if you're watching on YouTube. So should we put down some some sort of uh, miniature? No, I, 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 absolutely not. Because your team has the guy that hits all the home runs and my team doesn't have anybody that hits any home runs. Yeah, but my team uh, has no bullpen, so uh, I don't know if you've been seeing what's uh, what's been going on with uh, the back uh, end of the Yankees rotation. I want to say not good. Infected tattoo was a headline and and part of that. I know that's why everyone listens to the show. It's like Matt discovers baseball for the first time since like two thousand six. Um, but okay, not not great. I I don't retain very much of my love for baseball. That was my original favorite sport, but the the reflexive anti Yankees. Um, There's a lot it's, of that. It's, yeah. it's still, it's still, it's still very much there. No, so like this is the time of year, just on the on the college side, where we are, we kind of take stock about what what's already happened, what 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 sort of things we thought were going to happen aren't happening, and try to plan out the rest of our year. Um, we are at extra points. We're unfortunately not a place that's going to send me somewhere on site every week. You know, part of that is because. Like Brian, we do travel for non-football things. There's different conferences we're going to. I'm going to be in Charlotte uh, in a couple of weeks for some some on-site stuff there that's not directly related to 49er football. Um, but we were trying to figure out, okay, I've covered games before. Like that was part of my career before Extra Points. Where should we go next? Uh, I don't mind sharing this. I don't think this will get me into trouble. Our original plan was to go to Hawaii. And because I think a lot of things with Hawaii didn't work out maybe the way that the program planned. Maybe now isn't the best time to go spend a week on the islands, which I, I'm broken up about because I wanted to go to Hawaii. I've been, and not just because I wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm really curious about UH. But I understand maybe now is not the best time. So we're looking at what are some other places to go. And I'm pretty excited. I just bought my tickets today. I am going to the Brawl of the Wild. I'm going to go to Montana at Montana State. Uh, I am you know, interested. If you are somebody that cares about FCS football or unique rivalries or about Montana, and there are th- angles that you think I should be looking into. I'm, I'm interested in it. I have a couple of things already planned, but uh, putting that out there now. And, and excited to spend a good 72-plus hours in a place where I haven't been and what should be an absolute dynamite football game. 
I, I I'm I'm jealous for you. You know, like that that's uh that's one of those uh you know maybe not the the, the bucket list that, that people think of, but when it comes to SCS rivalry games, that is uh one one of the best. And I, I think the atmosphere there should be electric. Hopefully the weather will cooperate with you. Uh whether that's uh on the positive end of the scale and it, it's nice <laughs> and clear or uh on the on the opposite end and, and there's a snowstorm. But uh, I'm a little bit jealous. I, I might have to uh see what I can do if if I can see how if I can maybe join you. Maybe maybe I'll make a stop over at uh, Broncos place uh, there in Montana as well uh, for my, my head coach, you uh, co-host, but uh, yeah. it, it's exciting times. Yeah. And I'm actually going to uh, stop by the, uh, the big sky offices this week ahead of uh, the USC uh, Utah game. Uh, which is, which is a great idea. That's right. Not, 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 um, not super far from, from Utah, you know, other, other stuff going on there in, in, in that state. Um, <clears throat> also tentatively planning a couple of other mid majory and maybe majory trips <clears throat> in December. We'll share more about that once it's all kind of solidified. There's a, a couple of different balls there in, in, in the air. Um, but that's a game that's several weeks from now. And hopefully we end up in, in the same place. It's been a minute since we've done that. We do have a couple of things to talk about that actually did happen, or at least might happen. And it's uh, a little bit different because the last freaking five weeks of the show, the calendar has been set for us because, oh, well, somebody got fired. I guess we'll talk about that job. No FBS head coach got fired last week. So I was only off by one week. But a bunch of things did happen. Um, I think I want to. I can jump into one of those here first. That's that's probably uh, germane to a lot of the extra points readership. You might have seen late last week. This was Pete Thamel at ESPN tweeted right as we were all kind of shutting down for the week that uh, Kennesaw State had emerged as the favorite to join Conference USA, and uh, I, I think that choice of words is important and i i i wrote i wrote everything that i know about this and what i've been hearing in extra points earlier this week it's behind the paywall but if you're interested in that kind of coverage i think it's worth the eight bucks um so i'm not going to share everything um what i can say is i did some more phone calls here we're recording this on tuesday afternoon um i don't actually know as of 344 god's time zone exactly what happened with the georgia board of regents as they were discussing it today i saw that on the itinerary i know that as of like 2.30, nobody at Kennesaw State had told the A-Sun that they were planning on leaving. Um, although, you know, they, the people at the A-Sun offices have the internet. Like, they, they, they are aware of these kind of conversations. And that, I don't know if you had heard this, Brian. I had been hearing since the summer that Kennesaw was at the top of the board. Uh, that this was a school that Conference USA was really interested in. We can talk about why there in a second. But it wasn't a done deal. And part of that was because... Um, in Georgia, everybody is, is governed under the same um, board of regents, the same, the, the same structure, and that that's a highly political board. I don't mean that like Democrat-Republican, but just like in terms of like local pettiness. What I had been hearing all summer was, Kennesaw's not going to get permission to do this. And I'm assuming something changed. I don't think you would go through all this trouble if you weren't confident otherwise. I don't know exactly why that is. Um, so... I think it is safe to say at this point, we are certainly trending towards that direction of Kennesaw State becoming the 10th team to join Conference USA, whether that's in 2023 or, or 2024. But um, what happens beyond that? Not nearly as, as, as clear. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, is, is one to keep an eye out. I feel like we, we better call up our, our old buddy, uh, Stephen Godfrey, to uh, to chat just Kennesaw State Athletics because he he knows that place quite well. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting just in terms of the, the footprint of, of Conference USA and, and getting into Georgia and uh, making that a priority area, I think, for the yeah. league. That's something that they've they kind of abandoned uh, given some of their, their departures. It's weird to, to kind of look back at the history of Conference USA. And, I, I mean, this is a, a league founded in, in 1995 and to see all the former members and, and, and not only just the, the current and future uh, schools that, that are coming in, like just the, the list of, of teams that have had a touch point with conference USA is, uh, is kind of incredible uh, when, when, when you look back at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made that joke on Twitter. I didn't say this to be mean. I was like, okay, here's like the membership timeline and here's the membership timeline of like tower of power, which has been playing for like 50 years and they change uh, instrumentation every 18 months. Um, I think, you know, I'm guessing about a fifth of all of the G5, if not, no, like a third of all the G5 has spent time there at least once. Um, to be in Georgia now makes a lot of sense, right? Like there's a couple of reasons why Kennesaw in particular is attractive to you know one, one of these kind of leagues, right? Um, one of those is that unlike most FCS schools, Kennesaw is huge. It's got 40,000 students. It's the second biggest school in the state of Georgia. And, you know, it, it grew from the, from the third largest um, and it's, it's in, you know, the outskirts of suburban Atlanta. I, I, I think it's fair to say it's, it's in that general area ish, you know, within an hour to, to downtown. Northwest, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know, you fly into that airport and uh, the schools with that kind of enrollment and that kind of growth trajectory and graduate offerings tend to look more like FBS institutions. Also, unlike a lot of other FCS schools, Kennesaw State's been pretty good at football. This year is, I think, their worst season basically since starting, but they've been above 500 every other year. They've won three conference titles. They made the playoffs four times. They've won a game in the playoffs every single time. Um, and we've seen when you add a team with a culture of winning uh, from, from from FCS to FBS, whether that's a James Madison who's undefeated right now, whether that's an App State uh, that that transition tends to be a little bit easier than somebody like, say, Old Dominion or Charlotte that didn't have much of an FCS history moving up and then building things from scratch. Add all that to the fact that, yeah, to the extent that there is a geographic middle in Conference USA, which there isn't really, like Georgia would be an important place to be. It's an important place to be for recruiting. It's an important place to be for talent acquisition and a bunch of other different places. And I think as you hit go to market for a new media rights deal, um, not to say they're going to go, you know, do what they did before, just go add a bunch of metro areas with schools that don't have any, any penetration. But being able to say that you have some kind of presence there in, in Atlanta or in Georgia would be pretty beneficial. So that's why this move makes sense. I understand why some Conference USA fans are a little bit um, concerned about adding a TED school in general. Everyone's going to have a ramping up period to get to FBS. And to the extent that Conference USA has an identity right now, like no disrespect to Middle Tennessee uh, putting Miami in a garbage can, I think given the current lineup of schools, it's a basketball conference. And Kennesaw State's terrible at basketball. Like there's bad, and then there's like never won 17 games in a regular season kind of bad, you know, sub 250 Ken Palm kind of bad. So, you know, having to play New Mexico State and, uh, and Liberty and Western Kentucky all the time will be a challenge for them. But the upside is there in a way that I don't think is immediately apparent in almost any other FCS school that could potentially move up right now from, from a football perspective. And, and I think adding it to just, uh, you know, kind of leaning into to the geography a little bit. I mean, you're talking about what, probably three hours to, uh, to middle Tennessee. You got probably 
90 minutes or so to, to Jacksonville state, which is joining the league too. So, yep, um, you know, there are some, some regional ties, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it does make sense from that standpoint. And you mentioned just the, the size of the university. I think that is the, the key standpoint is, um, you know, when, when you're talking about some of these conference USA schools, you know, they are kind of smaller regional uh, institutions and uh, to add a, add a big time program like that in, in a metro area like Atlanta, uh, I, I think is going to be huge for, for the league, as you mentioned, from a recruiting standpoint, from being able to, to sell that to, to a lot of players, families, you know, especially given the, the transfer portal era with guys coming from, you know, the power five, maybe more down into the group of five level. I think that uh, could make uh, a school like Kennesaw State a little bit more amenable to uh, to receiving some of those transfers, but um, it's, it's still going to take a lot of work. And uh, I think the important thing to keep in mind is uh, in addition to all this move, as we keep saying, there's still that that kind of specter of, you know, there's there's going to be some changes to division one and uh, Kennesaw State likely going to have to not only invest to get into Conference USA, but invest it to some of those areas like basketball to, to make sure that they are uh, fully ready to, to go to uh, kind of the, the maximum of D1. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting move because I, I think you, you look at it maybe in, in five or 10 years time, this could look like a very smart move for Conference USA, just given the institution and where that institution ultimately wants to go. You know, like this is not a a, a school that I, I don't I don't think is just gonna gonna sit on their hands and, and kind of rest on their laurels a little bit. You know, yeah. they, they have some some ambition here, and I, I think you can say that for for a lot of schools in in kind of that Georgia system. But um, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how how that kind of shakes out, especially considering that uh, they're not the only ones that uh, might be under consideration for for Conference USA. That's that's true. So I, I I wrote about a couple of the other institutions that have had conversations with CUSA that have been in in, in that in that world uh, in the story earlier this week. If that's something that that uh, that that you're interested in, um, you 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 do bring up an important point, and this is something that everyone has to think about here for schools that are maybe thinking of going from Division two to Division one or FCS to FBS. Um, we should get some semblance of clarity, some very beginning first drafts of, of uh, membership criteria in the coming weeks. You know, um, I was I was talking to somebody today who was who was expecting it within two, um, might be more into November, but like not six months away to, to, to get this information. Um, I, I, I know just off, off the top of my head, one thing that I know Kennesaw is going to have to spend some money on is their stadium which seats under 9,000 people. And it's a, it's a nice stadium. It's new. I know the uh, Atlanta United 2 uh, the plays there, and it's a it's multi-purpose facility. I was talking to some folks that were familiar with it when it was first constructed, and they're like, you can add other – you can add a double deck or you can add some temporary bleachers and make this a 20,000, 25,000 seat facility. You can't really go a ton bigger than that, um, and it's probably too new to junk completely. Like if you had to go play downtown for a year, you could. Um, you can ask Georgia state what it's like playing in, in like in the, in Mercedes Benz or in the Georgia dome, when you're bringing 9,000 people to the, to the stadium, uh, it's not a great environment, but like there, there, there are options there, but anyone's doing this, whether you're a division two school in upstate New York or Connecticut or New Jersey, or your Eastern Kentucky or your McNeese state or your anybody else, um, it's not cheap. And it's, you know, you're looking at not just the down payment for the reclassification and maybe adjusting your sports sponsorship, but a lot of other operational money. So anyone thinking about doing that, I hope you know someone who can kind of check because it's it's not something that you can do uh, uh, at Aldi anymore. Like it's it's, it's growing up money. 
Well, I, I know we kind of joke about uh, consultants and whatnot, but there, there, there's a reason that market exists uh, for, yeah. for these schools to, to, to go to them because the, sometimes there's like, you know, it, it's not only a Byzantine process to kind of work through in terms of some of the NCA paperwork and all that, but like actually figuring out, oh, we need uh, four additional trainers, you know, when we yep. add three, di three different sports, you know, we've got to worry about Title IX implications. You know, I, I think that's uh, something that gets overlooked quite a bit um, in terms of schools moving up and, and moving down. Sometimes they, because of sports sponsorship requirements, um, you know, it, it's not just adding one sport. You might have to add two and uh, you know what the associated costs are uh, with that. So there, there, there's a whole lot going on. And, and I, I, I do find it fascinating just given the inflection point we are at with the NCA. The other thing to keep in mind too is, uh, you know, with the, the college football playoff and, and the uh, potential additional revenues that are coming through there, it's probably a little bit more money going to conferences like Conference USA and, 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 and the Sun Belt and whatnot. So uh, there will be some, some, some trickle down in terms of the actual revenues of the college football playoff uh, expansion trickling down to schools that, that could take advantage of it, like Kennesaw State. Not saying it's, it's going to be a whole lot, but, you know, yeah. when you're talking about uh, maybe it's another 200k uh, in, in the budget coming down from the college football playoff. Uh, by the time it all filters out, that that could be significant when, when you're talking about not only assistant coaches' salaries, but uh, paying full-time trainers, uh, mental health uh, for, for student athletes, and, and stuff like that. So there's there's a whole lot of uh, additional things to consider as we uh, kind of hit this very very interesting moment in college athletics. I mean, 200k is salary benefits 401k matching for three, maybe four backhand staffers. Um, to say nothing of, of of whether that would go to coaching or anything, and then, and those that's the kind of stuff that's going to be important. Plus, you the other, you move up to FBS, your uh, paycheck game allowance yeah. is going, will double, right? If you're making seven hundred thousand to as an FCS team to play in SoCon Saturday, you can make a million five, million six, million seven, depending on who you book um, to to play that second. Saturday in September kind of situation. And, um, and I, I think on, on that point in particular, we, we've yeah. seen uh, certain some, some of the Mac schools recently, have, uh, especially some of the new athletic directors that have taken over the Mac schools, has said they, they really don't want to play as many of those paycheck games. And yep. so, you know what, there, there's openings there, especially, you know, you're talking about some of the SEC opponents that uh, you would likely play if you're Kennesaw State. Um, you know, th those are big checks and uh, they can help uh, certainly fund your athletic director, uh, athletic program, uh, I think, moving forward. And it, it is going to be interesting to see how, how that market too adjusts uh, from, from the probably changes, I, I think, overall, just in terms of scheduling philosophy that will come with a 12-team college football playoff. I, I think uh, you, you're already hearing uh, certainly uh, rumors about uh, moves to more nine uh, conference game schedules for, for not just the SEC, but uh, even potentially the ACC as well. So, yep. um, you know, that, that's going to have an impact on, on, on the market for, for these games as well. So uh, a, lot, a lot going on on that front. One place that you're not going to see a market adjustment, a place where you know exactly how much it's going to cost and what kind of goods you're going to be able to get, is with our good friends at Home Field Apparel. Uh, they make the most comfortable T-shirts, the most comfortable hoodies, the most comfortable officially licensed collegiate apparel, um, sporting unique vintage designs. I am wearing the old vintage UCLA shirt right here uh, in honor of UCLA football being good and interesting. We've got the Utah team they just beat Utah. Th th that's right. Team, team they just beat. Um, when I'm done here and when we're all recording, I'll probably uh, take a hike down to the gym and I'll put on my West Virginia hoodie. Uh, I think that, uh, like we said, most of, uh, several times here, a good 80% of all of my clothes that are not professional dress are home field related, including one of the nice things here now that it's like in the in the 40s sometimes, you can do the full Indiana tuxedo. The Indiana tuxedo is the home field t-shirt, the home field hoodie, and the Yukon joggers as the sweatpants, the full home field, just in a big snuggly cocoon of college football, Twitter, hipster comfort. Um, big fan. 
Taylor, my wife, not as much. Makes fun of me for if I walk out of the house with the with the Indiana Tucks. But what can I say? You can't take the Ohio out of the guy, even if you take the guy out of Ohio. Um, I feel like we need to we need to talk to Connor about uh, branching out. Maybe we can do some sheets, uh, you know, some, some additional uh, home field uh, apparel lines, if if you will. Yeah. Blankets, Connor, blankets, something like that. Yeah, you, a, a, a snuggie or a slanket. Snuggie, right? Connor, you've got my phone number. You know, you know, you know how to make this happen. And 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 folks that are listening to this and want Connor's phone number, I won't give it to you, but I will make an introduction if you want to go talk about getting your stuff within the home field line because they're dropping FCS and G five and 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 refreshes all of the time. They just dropped some new Marquette uh, shirts. They had the Wyoming stuff, which was much better than I'd expected given the horrific color scheme that you have to operate under. You had the ECU stuff in a recent memory too. You can get all of that at homefieldapparel.com. And when you do use promo code extra points, save 15% off that first order. That's homefieldapparel.com. There was something else completely unrelated to conference realignment that I did want to talk to you about. Um, normally, like I mentioned on the show, we, uh, have spent a lot of this time talking about coaching searches. Nobody in the college ranks at the FBS level got fired. Um, I, I'm a degenerate, but man, I don't have 15 minutes to talk about the Wofford head coaching search. Like if that's what you're looking for, God bless. <laughs> there's, there's a find somewhere else on the internet, but there was a still a big hiring, uh, a big firing rather the Carolina Panthers early in the season, uh, have told Matt rule that his services are no longer needed. And uh, based on the social media chatter and the agent chatter and some of the conversations that I had and, and, and read over the past couple of days, that rule is going to be a very popular coaching candidate for many of these openings. Now, will he take one of those gigs? That remains to be seen because as best as we can tell, Matt Rule is going to be getting a gigantic novelty-sized um, monopoly bag of money. And if you have that much money, maybe you don't necessarily need to go to Arizona State. Maybe you can just like do the 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 coach O uh, thing where you just you know, pop around and, and watch games for fun and, and BS with coaches and and drink margaritas. But coaches aren't wired that. Well, most coaches anyway aren't wired that way, and they they often want to immediately jump back in. I think I have a contrarian. I'm workshopping here a, 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 a opinion about, about Mr. Rule and his candidacy and what he brings to the table. But before I, I kind of riff on that, I'd love to know what you think uh, about whether you think it is likely he goes back to the college ranks and what we should think about a candidate with his more absolutely unique profile heading into the search. Well, I, I do think he is, is headed back to the college ranks. And uh, you mentioned uh, that, that bag that he's getting $40 million uh, that uh, David Tepper still has to end up paying him out, which, you know, it makes it very amenable for, for a lot of these schools that are maybe paying some of these bigger buyouts, uh, you know, where you can kind of cut a little corners in, in terms of what you're actually paying the head coach and then, you know, rerouting some of that money towards the assistant salary pool, uh, which is massive for, for any head coach in terms of taking jobs nowadays. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, he, he is not the the type, Matt Rule, to kind of sit out on a, on, a, on a beach or anything like that maybe he he will set out a, a year but i, I just I, I think at the end of the day he's he's one of those coaches coaches and and uh, he, he just loves you know kind of getting back into it on on, a, on the daily grind i i do think he does like that as much as he wanted to try that, that 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 his hand at the nfl game i do think he's better suited for, for the college game and um you know he, he just makes a, a lot of sense for for a lot of these programs like like nebraska uh wisconsin if it ends up coming to that uh, in terms of the the uh, final closing kick here for jim jim leonard but 
um, you know, he, he he could be plug and play pretty much anywhere. He's kind of proven that over his career. He's had success at Temple, which, as we've seen, is a tough job to win at. Um, you know, really rebuilt Baylor quicker than anybody could have imagined. And and he was, you know, Northeast guy. You got you got to remember coming from from Temple down there into Baylor, uh, made it really some some great connections with with Texas high school coaches. Recruited well, really recruited that uh, Big Twelve championship team that uh, Dave Aranda won. Uh, a lot of those guys were recruited down there to Waco by Matt Rule. So uh, t- talent identification, uh, just how he runs his program, I, I think the atmosphere that he builds, um, you know, he- he's-, he's very su- well suited to a lot of these jobs that are open right now. And I, I think that's a reason why you're going to hear his name kind of mentioned as candidate number one uh, on a lot of these lists. I want to talk about the Temple thing. I want to talk about the Baylor thing a little bit. And, and I want to preface everything I'm about to say here by saying I am not saying that um, Matt Rule is a bad football coach. I, I'm definitely not saying that. I'm not saying that he would w- will do poorly moving back to college. So let me make sure that is stated very clearly before we get into this here. My, 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 my thinking here is that I want to push back on the idea that this is a candidate that should automatically vault to the top of every board as the sweepstakes winner champion or somebody who is like the on-paper can't-miss guy. And some of that has nothing to do with Matt Rule. Some of that is, I think, I am inclined to believe we should retire that concept entirely after Scott Frost and after Dan Mullen and after uh, almost what happened with, with Jim Harbaugh and or the, the, the beginning of that era. And, and there are so many things that go into whether somebody's successful or not. And it's really hard to predict, even if somebody seems to fit perfectly on paper. But I want to I want to talk a little bit more about this resume. So to, one, Matt Rule did win at Temple. And not only did he win at Temple, he won a lot at Temple. He was the first guy to get Temple into the Associated Press at any level since 1979. College game day went to a, a Temple football game. Like they, they were relevant. They won 10 games more than once. However, to, to be, too. what? Beat yeah. Penn State as well. Beat, you know? beat, 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 beat Penn State. I remember that that was the year when they, they sacked Christian Hackenberg rushing two. And it was, it was, it was for me very funny to watch. Um, Temple is not an easy job, but in the la- you know in the last 15 years, four different coaches have taken them to bowl games. Like it's not a dead end place. Al Golden came in there and won nine, you know, eight nine games and, and got him to bowl games. Uh, then he left for another job and did poorly. He was replaced by Steve Adazio, who then promptly won nine games. Struggled a bit the second year, but but won a bowl game. Something that that nobody, very few people have ever done. Went to do two other jobs where he did not was not particularly successful um and 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 for on and off the field reasons but you know showed that you could you could do something there Matt Rule comes in struggles for one season builds it up into a a a strong program he leaves he's replaced by Jeff Collins who makes back-to-back bowl games and leaves and is not successful he's been fired um and this, and then uh, Rod Carey comes in and was a little bit of a question mark hire on paper to come in and, and wasn't terribly successful. And the team's not very good right now. But that's I look at that and think a lot of different people now have won a lot have won football games at Temple. And it might be something might be nothing that most of them with with uh, with rule being the exception have not been very successful somewhere else. Um, could be it could be coincidence. Just it's something to think about. Winning 10 games is, is a big deal. Winning and make going to bowl games is not something that is like has not happened uh, at Temple. Then he goes to Baylor. And what Baylor became in year three of that era, I think is unquestionably exceptionally uh, rare, right? That's that's a huge accomplishment to come in with what Baylor had, what, like 45 scholarships? 
when he comes in there and uh, walk on caliber guys and they were atrocious in one year and then at the end they're 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 playing in a in a new year's six bowl game he leaves right even though he leaves with an under 500 record at baylor everyone's going to look at that era as, as extremely successful the the thing that i think bugs me about this a little bit is that coming into baylor that first year is not like any other or almost unlike almost any other college football job if you were a head coach and you were a big culture guy rah-rah guy player guy which is which is not pejorative, but that's kind of what you know. The the bit on the book on rule has been a little bit. You can create cultural buy-in and mold an entity in your image a lot easier if it's at below ground zero than it is to some place where the roster turn tear down and the culture tear down and everything else is going to look a little bit different. Um, and and that situation is not going to be what Arizona State or Nebraska or Wisconsin or some other places are. It's it, it, it will be it will be a little bit different. Um, the one skill set that I think is pretty clear about all these these two college jobs is he did a really good job hiring assistant coaches, which I think is a critical component of being a successful college coach. And to do that in two different parts of the country, great. My concern here is then he went to the NFL and was correct. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because you probably watched more Carolina Panthers football games than I did, but they were bad. Like this, this, this was not. Oh, a couple, you know, balls broke the wrong way, and and you know, we 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 were we were ten and seven on paper, but we finished seven and nine or whatever. Like they were pretty uncompetitive, um, and and some of that wasn't his fault, right? You have a weird owner, you have bad roster situation, never had an above average quarterback, blah blah blah, but not good. You you could not see schematic mastermind. And we also saw very college football coach in the NFL to the point where like he's getting involved in like Twitter graphics and shit, which is which is the kind of thing that college coaches do. So my concern when looking at this after all of that is good football coach done, been successful. College football is a really different sport than it was four years ago. It's a, where, where NIL wasn't really a thing. The roster turnover happens at different paces. Now recruiting happens at different paces. Your staff, like your right-hand people, some of them might stay in the NFL. One of them's leading Texas tech right now. They're, they're, they're all across the country. I, all I'm saying is I would not look at that and think this is plug and play automatic success. Um, and and you might come back and suddenly find that the way that you ran a program is going to, you know, you're stepping into a different situation than what you had before. I don't know if you could automatically say, because this worked at Baylor, this will work at ASU or this was, this will probably work. You know, that's that. I, I, I think, I think that's it. I would, I would want to ask a bunch more questions if I had to make a $7 million bet on this guy. Well, I think the the concept of the home run hire, as as you've alluded to, has has been thrown out the door. Like we we, we yeah. just don't know. But I think in terms of uh, traits and 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 a track record that you can at least bet on, you know, this this would be a, a horse you'd want to kind of put uh, put some money out the window on. Um, yeah, you know, I think with with Matt Rule in particular, you, you look at Carolina and and they just never figured out the quarterback position. I mean, I mean, it is as simple yeah. as that. Um, a revolving door there with starters. Um, obviously, Baker Mayfield was was not the answer that uh, they were hoping for this year. He's already hurt. Um, but you know, I, I think uh, you know, 25 straight losses when allowing 17 points or more that that is not a, a good look on anybody, uh, especially in the NFL where where parity is um, you know uh, completely uh, apparent on, on pretty much every game and every every Sunday. So um, you know, it, it, it was a struggle for him. But I, I think going back to the college level, you mentioned that the game changing. I, I almost think it, it's it's easier now for for guys to go from the NFL back into college football or vice versa. You know, I, I, I saw Dan Wilkin, uh, you know, at USA 
State Today wrote a big column about uh, saying that this should put an end to the college football to the NFL experience. I I disagree with with that and, and going vice versa in, in the case of Matt Rule because uh, they're they're actually coming a, a little bit more aligned uh, I think nowadays when when you have especially these major Power Five schools you're having uh, kind of almost a, a player personnel department that, that is looking at the play, the the transfer portal. You're you're looking at guys through that. You're looking at uh, you know kind of the the uh, model where you have obviously you have your draft and in, in terms of recruiting and and you have uh, through the transfer portal with uh, kind of free agency. So I think there are a lot of parallels to how you can kind of structure your staff and, and what is ultimately on the head coach uh, to do it. It's especially nowadays, you know, you, you have analysts for this and analysts for that uh, to where, you know, the, the game planning and the, and the X's and O's is, is a lot more important and, and even more so in the NIL era where, you know, it's not as important that you have guys that, that are just uh, massive grinders, uh, you know, and, and, and putting 20 hours into to, to wooing some recruits. You're like those days are, are, uh, you know, kind of passing us by right now. You know, the, I think the, the changes that are coming to the college system, making it a little bit more, more professionalized is going to allow uh, a little bit more free-flowing be- between the college and NFL games at, at the coaching level. And, and I think Matt Rule is going to be a good example of that. You know, I, I understand the um, you know, reticence of, of saying, you know what, there's there's no sure thing. And uh, Matt Rule at, at any of these places is, is no sure thing. But I think in terms of his, his ultimate track record, what he's able to do uh, in terms of building those programs, fitting multiple cultures. You know, he, he was, a, like I said, Northeast guy going down to Texas. That that's a very different thing, um, sure. you know. And, and he had just and, been, and not just anywhere in Texas. He went to Baylor, and not I, just I, not just Baylor, but like Baylor when it had been nuked. Yeah. So that that totally totally fair. And, and, and so I, and, and you, you got a, also a very different institution, Baylor, uh, you know, not, in, not only in terms of dealing with everything off the field, but uh, be, because of the, the religious nature of, of that university and how important that is to uh, that athletic department. You know, I, I think um, adjusting to that culture as, as well uh, w- w- was a big thing that Matt Rule did. So, um, you know, being able to, to go to different places, I, I think, is, is, is a key trait, that adaptability as, as a head coach. And, and Matt Rule can, can do that. Did, did it work out in the NFL? No, it hasn't. But you know what? That, that's the case for, for a lot of these guys. I mean, Steve Spurrier uh, went to the NFL and, and came back and resurrected South Carolina. You, you've yeah. seen what's happening with Chip Kelly. You're wearing the UCLA home field apparel shirt there. Uh, I, I mean, Chip's got uh, UCLA in the top 12. Going to go see him next week uh, when, when he returns to Oregon in what should, should be uh, one of the games of the year in the Pac-12. I uh, got DTR. Uh, you know, it was a slow rebuild there, but uh, yeah, they've eventually maybe. got things going. So I, I think just in, in general, if, if you're looking at him uh, objectively as a head coaching candidate, Matt Rule is, is one of the top guys available. Uh, on, on top of the fact of the matter is that there's no like one true, here's that hot assistant, you know, here, here's that hot group of five program. I, I think that the pool this year, you know, is, is, is a bit limited in that regards. You know, I, I think, yeah, there's, there's Jamie Caldwell at, at, at uh, Coastal Carolina. His name's come up a, a bunch, you know, maybe Maybe he, he's that guy, especially with App State undefeated right now. Um, but, you know, there, there's just not the the Tom Herman types uh, that, that we were thinking, all right, well, that, that's going to be a home run. There, there really is not that in terms of this this coaching carousel right now. Uh, so I, I think that puts even more emphasis on Matt Rule kind of being the guy for a lot of these Power 5 programs that are looking to make a splash. Yeah, I, I think because of what you just described, and maybe this is just me superimposing my own values over or something that, that just isn't there, is I would think, well, if there's not somebody who, who's, who we, we apps we have to hire based on their overwhelming credentials or their overwhelming tie to this place, that this is a chance then to open up the search and, and consider a coordinator that we might not have before, consider somebody who might not necessarily fit the same profile, to look at somebody like a Sam Pittman, 
uh, or, you know, heaven forbid, a minority candidate, right? Or, or somebody that's not the same three people that everybody comes in and interviews every single time, especially if now there's, there's more evidence to suggest that the home run hire doesn't exist. Well, uh, this is now an opportunity to, to, to even sell that to your more persnickety constituents that why it, it's important to have a, a wider reach. That might be your competitive advantage. I can also understand, while that might be my hope, a retread who has multiple fan bases and schools that will vouch for him and said that he did well, and, and, and a guy that is, you know, has that NFL experience, I get why that would be even more important. Um, that would be not what I would prefer people to do necessarily, but I, I, I get how the game goes. Yeah. And then, well, I think it's just going to be an interesting coaching carousel in, in general. Uh, we, we, we have not uh, yet uh, opened up at, at Auburn that uh, might come, come around, around the corner, but uh, you know, the, the domino effects that are going to end up happening uh, because of not only Matt rule kind of getting into, into the game if he, if he wants to, but um, you know, poaching other guys at uh, other places. I, I know I've uh, talked with a few coaches, you know, they, they think it could be a little bit active in terms of uh, some, some job jumping uh, from, from a few guys. So I think that yeah. uh, is, is something to keep an eye out. Um, and, and, you know, you look at, at some of the schools that, uh, might end up making a change. I think just the the patience, um, you know, for for both the NFL and, and college football is as short as ever nowadays. And so uh, there, there's always a, a curveball. Uh, I think we kind of got that with Wisconsin, but uh, not, that's yeah. not really a case of it coming fully open. So we, we, we could get a few more things that uh, might pique the interest of, of candidates like Matt Rule. And and I think it's going to be uh, a really fascinating to kind of follow uh, these next couple of years. And, and the other thing with, with Matt Rule that you got to keep in mind is he's available now. You know, like that, yeah. that is another thing that uh, that, we, that we've kind of seen this trend of, hey, we, we can interview somebody. We, we can hire them early. They can evaluate the roster. They can go into the portal knowing what they need. They can go into recruiting knowing what they need with that early signing period. Uh, you kind of make a dent on, on the recruiting trail. So um, the ability to, to flip rosters uh, nowadays is, uh, you know, more paramount than ever. And, and we're seeing success at a lot of places who have been able to do that, like USC and, and Lincoln Riley, what they've been able to do. So I, I, I just I just look at Matt Rule, and, and I think for a, a lot of candidates, maybe he's not the, the perfect fit, but uh, in terms of checking off boxes, I think uh, probably more so than, than anybody out there right now, uh, he, he, he's a guy that does that. You did hit on something that is pretty important to kind of you put, a, put a bow on all this is – you, you can't be as patient as you might have been before with the ability to turn over rosters pretty quickly. And I, I mean, you kind of saw Kyle Whittingham, you sort of you'll talk about this a little bit with the Salt Lake Tribune, I think earlier this week when he's like, you're, you're pointing to USC as this example of a program that did it really well. And you, maybe they did that with a lot of NIL money. Maybe they did that with a lot of other things, but you turn over 20% of your roster and went from non-competitive to now a, a real college football playoff team, right? Uh, candidacy, right? Texas went from your ter- huge turnover on their roster, went from not making a bowl game to now should win probably at least nine games uh, and, 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 and go into the season here with expectations. Now, granted, I might say, but for every USC and for Texas, there's a Miami. Uh, or there are other programs that that have tried to do this and have not been as successful. But the idea of being able to get a year to establish your culture and and maybe not have to demonstrate a real proof of concept until the end of that second year as you kind of build forward there, I don't think you're going to be able to get that from at Florida or Florida Atlantic. Like you don't necessarily have to come in and, and win 10 games that first year, but you have to be able to demonstrate what your program is supposed to look like. And everyone's going to have to portal up a little bit. And uh it's, I don't know to what extent 
the industry will correct itself within a year or two about this because there's some real questions about how sustainable that approach to roster management really is. I think I might hold up Michigan State this year as a potential cautionary example of doing really well with a couple of portal guys in one cycle and then maybe having that mask some problems with your roster that weren't properly addressed. And if a couple of those guys don't pan out, suddenly you're atrocious, uh, which is a thing that happens in basketball all of the time too. Um, but I, th this is coming from somebody in the cheap seats who one does did not give how many million bucks to hire a football coach. And I also don't have a million bucks riding on, on a, a coach being successful or not. Uh, that kind of impatience, I don't think typically leads to good results. It doesn't in most other industries, but nothing about this stupid business makes sense. Uh, you know, which is a good segue to potentially talking about Auburn next week, I think. Yeah, and I, I'm going to be very curious too. You know, we, we've seen, a, especially with Lance Leipold, a, another guy who has been able to change the roster over very quickly and, and find success in, in year two. Uh, how, how much the smaller school, uh, you know, whether FCS types or, or below, uh, are, are going to get uh, looks now at, at, yeah. at the FBS level? I, I think, especially when you look at some of the openings that, that could come up at the group of five level, obviously, there's always the case of, of MAC coaches potentially moving on to, to bigger jobs. You, you look at places like in the, in the Mountain West as well, you know, there, there's some good candidates out. To, in big big sky country in, in particular uh, with some of those teams that have uh, put together some some good programs i, I think it's going to be very interesting to see not only at the, at the top of the end uh, of the food chain with guys like matt rule but but kind of also in in that middle tier lower tier um you know what direction the ad's uh, do tend to go because I, I think more than ever in in the college game you're starting to see um you know that that separation between talent acquisition and, and x's and o's on on saturdays is becoming more important than ever you're, you're gonna have to have somebody uh, responsible for one and the other pressure on 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 game days is, is a whole different deal and i think the the, the coaches that can manage both of those uh, you know with with, uh, with ease uh, are, are going to find the most success as we kind of move forward in this area you, know, you mentioned kyle kyle whittingham there in, in his comments it's interesting too because he, he brought those up kind of um you know un, unprovoked i guess at, at his monday news conference and the thing that i, I found funny is is uh, as, as much as he wants to, to mention nil when it comes to usc flipping that roster not to say that it has not been uh, the, the case where those guys have not gotten NIL deals, but in terms of like the collectives and stuff like that, you'll see very unorganized compared to some of the other places like Nebraska, uh, like in the, in the SEC, you know, the, 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 I just saw the, uh, the other day in terms of Ole Miss and, and how they're getting on the same page with all of their boosters and their, their collectives and, and being a little bit more organized with things. Um, not necessarily the case there at, there at USC, but, uh, no. you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, uh, how the schools are, are reacting, you know, and, and kind of adjusting to things on the fly because, um, some coaches might come in with, with an entirely different setup and, and what changes being made to how those relations are, relationships are with collectives, how, how the, how the boosters are contributing to the program. So, um, you know, you know, coaches like Matt rule, they, they've not only got uh, a bit of a blank slate in terms of some of these programs, but uh, they're going to have to make some adjustments as well. That I think is a conversation for a different episode because I could do 45 minutes just on what Winningham just said and, and, and what you, what you were just talking about, because I, believe that there is a recruiting industrial complex narrative that's being set right now about the particular importance of uh, specific collectives or about this particular importance of uh, certain kinds of bagman NIL and recruiting. And I don't think the, the data to the extent that data exists right now bears that out exactly um, to the point where the, I don't, I, the results have not been as transformational. That's a different conversation though about USC and Ole Miss and Ohio state and 
Texas A&M and all, and all these other things. And, and I mean, it, it's a conversation that we've been having for two decades now about, oh, well, you heard this rumor about this this guy paying, paying a player. Well, well now, in, in, instead of the, this rumor about so-and-so paying so-and-so, you, you're, you can just throw in, uh, oh, this collective is, is doing this, this NIL, this and that. And and there's there's been very little verification for, for a lot of this. So it, it's it's the same old rumors. It's just uh, you know, reset in, in, in a different manner. Yeah, that that we that that's maybe maybe that's the lead in for the for the other show. Um, but this show is uh, is about wrapped up. You can go find uh, Brian's other work here on Collegiate Sports Connect, in particular his most recent episode of Head Coach You, bringing in another special special musical guest to talk about what I think is uh, I haven't heard the whole, whole episode, yet, but you talked to Dave Clawson, right? I, I did a f- fantastic conversation with Dave. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the more thoughtful coaches. I mean, he, he's been around for several decades now at, at, at a number of different places. So he has that perspective of, of coaching at places like Richmond and, and Fordham. And and uh, it was interesting to see how he's adjusted his philosophy as, as a head coach uh, over nine seasons now at Wake Forest. And so he, he's got the Demon Deeks, the smallest, uh, you know, Power 5 program by enrollment uh, and, yeah. and how he's using that to an advantage. We, we talked about that. Uh, you know, him, him and Bronco go way back. Uh, I was interested to kind of get their 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 viewpoint in terms of uh, what their discussions were, uh, not only as competitors going back to that uh, 2020 pandemic season, but how they kind of used each other uh, to, to get through uh, some, of, some of the tough tasks and, and uh, there's some interesting stories on that. So we got some more guests uh, lined up, some some other head coaches coming up. So uh, be sure where, wherever you're listening to this here podcast, you're also subscribed to Head Coach U. Got a bunch of other things on, on Fox Sports this week. Uh, and, you know, had, uh, speaking of Chip Kelly, uh, wrote about him and, and some of the others like Brett Bielema who are kind of thriving now. And in some second acts and in college football, it's uh, uh, a lot more coming on that front. So uh, a lot lot going on. It it is a busy time on the sports calendar and and a busy time for me, especially uh, coming Thursday through through about uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. uh, It's kind of crazy, but uh, always fun as well, especially joining you here on on Going For Two. Uh, The the reason I'm most excited to listen to this conversation, beyond the fact that I happen to know that Clausen's a particularly thoughtful guy, most of the people in Broncos kind of... Uh, universe or more cerebral coaches. I want to hear him explain the weird handoff that Wake's offense does, where it looks like the, the, I've heard this compared to uh, the dad walking the bride down the aisle, very slow and deliberative. And they're both kind of holding the football and it breaks off at the last minute. And you think there's no way in hell this, this dumb thing should work. And then they gain eight yards. Well, I, I, I talked a little bit uh, to, with, with Dave beforehand. He, they, they are kind of secretive there at Wake in terms of actually like some of the machinations and, and how the, you know, how it actually works. You can ask the Stanford coaches, you know, the, the Stanford yeah. coaches were, were kind of inquired uh, before the year. Hey, can we come in and learn how to do the slow mesh? And uh, they, they kind of got a, a polite review. I guess you could say from from the Wake Wake Forest staff, but um, it was interesting just kind of hear how it came about and 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 why they use it and and, and from from Broncos' perspective too, uh, you know, just kind of defending it. Uh, we we had a little interesting discussion in terms of how difficult it is to defend that versus say the triple option because uh, uh, you know Wake just came off a, a big win at Army uh, and, and Dave kind of mentioned it as well. You know, last year they 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 both scored over sixty points, one of the wildest games in all of college football last year, and then uh, talking about his his defense making some changes uh, coming into this year. And, and they they get a big 45-10 win uh, over the Black Knights, but uh, fun times, fun times with fun Dave, day. and yeah. and uh, we, we we got a lot more in store here on Head Coach U. I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff because I recognize I'm a scheme idiot, and I think one of the signs of a really effective coach. This would be a good video series, I think, for the off season in general. We kind of talked about this before at D1 Ticker, is to to have people explain these kind of basic concepts as dumb as possible to somebody like me, because you have a very limited time to train 
and, 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 and teach your athletes about some of these concepts. And if you're able to get it so I can understand it, you can definitely do it so your junior right tackle can understand it and then repeat it a gajillion times so you don't have to think about it anymore. Like this, like Nick Saban's really good at this too. Like I, every time someone shows one of those clips where he turns off the robot brain for a minute and actually like walks through a route tree and here's where my defensive back's supposed to be on this particular play, love that. Um, I, I'll watch every one of those videos. At Extra Points, we have... Um, Beyond the, the reporting about Kennesaw State and Conference USA, uh, on Wednesday morning, we will have a story about potentially expanding the college baseball postseason. You might have seen a story from our friend Matt Norlander at CBS last week that indicated one of the many proposals Transformation Committee is looking at uh, would be a rule that would allow them to expand the postseason for any particular sport up to 25% of the participating schools, which would mean, hypothetically, a larger men's basketball tournament, which we've talked about a couple of different times on this show, is something that's being discussed and has been discussed, but could also mean larger almost any other tournament. I don't know very much about college baseball. I'm a Midwesterner. There's like three schools here that care about it, and the weather sucks, so I needed to have other people explain it to me. So I talked to some coaches, some conference commissioners, some athletic directors about whether there would be interest in doing this and what kind of questions need to be solved. Uh, and we may do this again for some other sports because over the course of those conversations, you also heard some things like, well, here's what soccer does. That's a little bit different. Or here's what makes sense for volleyball, but we wouldn't be make as much sense here for, for lacrosse. We'll have all that uh, on Extra Points as well, along with, uh, I think, some other interesting stories. You can find all of those at extrapointsmb.com. And we will see you again on the Internet very soon with some other exciting stories here throughout the D1 ticker universe of publications. Enjoy the week, everybody.